Welcome to the Carolina Contractor Show with your host, Donnie Blanchard, brought to you in part by GAF, the world's largest roofing manufacturer. We protect what matters most. And Mid-Atlantic Roofing Supply in Raleigh, a roofing supplier with a different approach. Hey, yes, indeed. Welcome to another edition of the Carolina Contractor Show. This edition will not have any ice or rain in it, <laughs> Thank God. And with us as usual, Donnie Blanchard, General Contractor. I think I can give you a rap name. G.C. Donnie B. G.C. Donnie B. I'll, I'll take that. I like it. We are the Carolina Contractor, and if you want to learn what we're about, it ain't rap. It's about your house, the inside, the outside, uh, the top, the bottom, everything to do with your house, including DIY projects, things like that. And if you want to go to the website, you can get the information there, thecarolinacontractor.com. The the is part of the website, so thecarolinacontractor.com. All right, we got a lot of stuff to talk about, a man. Lot. Yep. And at the website, we've got a lot of stuff from what we've talked about in the past. Yep. Of, of course, with Dr. Peden that we did about COVID, we've got both episodes of those up there. Yep. Of course, ask the GC Donnie B or ask the <laughs> contractor button if you have a question about your house or other things not related to it. For sure. You can do that at the website. And Donnie's going to have um, those questions later in the show that yep. we'll be answering that people have sent to you. Just a whole bunch of stuff. Again, hit the website, the Carolina Contractor. Com. Now, speaking of ice and storms we've had recently, you've got some information that I thought was pretty important that you want to start off with today's show. Yep. We're going to eventually get to generators and just some of the things that people have been dealing with during these ice storms. But um, my dad actually made a good point this week of something that I should probably mention. But North Carolina has a utility commissioner. And basically, similar to if you had a complaint with the insurance commissioner, you could get to them directly. But um, if You've had an area of trees that are uh, that look like they pose a threat to the power lines. Uh, for mm-hmm. instance, on my road, we have a long row of pines that are on the south side of some power lines. And, of course, they came down, took our power out. And it's one of those things that I feel like could, could have been avoided. I'll never endorse anything that is a whistleblower move. <laughs> but uh, the Utility Commission, the website is ncuc.net. And that's the North Carolina Utility Commission's website where you can call in or you can email in a complaint. And I just think that it's wise for everybody to do their part. So I wanted to say that up front in case folks don't get all the way through the show. I think that's one of the things that is definitely worthy after something like this. And if you can see an area that could potentially take your power out, then that is something you can report and they will eventually do something about. Another place that really got socked by all the storms Mm -hmm. and the ice and stuff was Texas. Right. And you looked into some of the reasons why that happened. Yeah, when I did my research, um, I got a little upset uh, reading up on the story because this thing was politicized right out of the gate. You know, some people said, look, you know, green energy doesn't work. Uh, uh, There's no backup plan for a windmill that freezes. And uh, the other side of the aisle said, well, yeah, they didn't buy the de-icing option. Well, no kidding. They're in Texas. You know, that nobody's Mm -hmm. thought that this was going to happen. But literally the perfect storm uh, with the high humidity that they have in Texas and and then with a um, high wind and really cold temperature, all Mm -hmm. that just uh, met in the wrong place. And I think they said that their windmills or their renewable energy resources account for about 12% of their total energy. So in terms of Texas having around 30 million people, 4 million plus people that were without power. And I just kind of think that the folks who were doing the finger pointing, if they could have taken more of a humanitarian approach and go help the people, you know, treat it like a natural disaster. And that would have been a much better thing to do than uh, be the first person to put it on Twitter that the other right. side was wrong. So the windmills, we're gonna, let's focus on that for a sure. second because they've got these enormous fan blades. Mm-hmm. And I don't know this guy. The turbine guy yeah. had a great idea. Explain he that. He is YouTube gold. I mean, this guy is really good. And I would um, recommend if you really want to know about uh, wind energy, he's probably the authority that I would say on YouTube. He's got a lot of followers and just a, 
uh, funny guy, but he did mm-hmm. a segment uh, regarding Texas. He did three segments regarding Texas, and they're all about six or seven minute videos. And uh, just to sum up what he talked about is basically he attributed this uh, number one to be in the perfect storm with the humidity and the cold. Uh, no pun intended. Right. And uh, the other thing that he said is that the uh, the windmill blades were made out of fiberglass, and uh, he recommended an aluminum option because aluminum shrinks and swells with the temperature fluctuations. Oh, so. so- Harder for water to exactly. gather on it and then freeze. That's it, because it's constantly moving when the temperature goes up or down. I think the aluminum option is probably something that's not realistic and uh, with all windmills, but I just think that if you're going to entertain this windmill as a source of renewable energy, I think taking into account the uh, the materials is a super important thing. And we're always talking about copper, brass, and bronze. Just make the things out of copper, and yeah. you know it'll kill germs and won't won't allow it to freeze. You know, you make time. a joke about that, but if you uh, put that down to a smaller scale, yep. what are all the HVAC blowers and stuff have That's in it. them? They have fan blades, so it's a good idea. The turbine guy he made a reference to something that's been hot on the internet and. He basically said that, and this is all true, the helicopter that was treating the uh, the ice on the blades, he said, you've got a, a turbine that's on a helicopter running on fossil fuels, spraying a chemical <laughs> that's made from fossil fuels on a wind turbine that was also made with fossil fuels. I'm like, man, you know, this renewable thing, it's uh, the right intention, but I just don't see how you get around having that fossil fuel as a backup. There was something else that happened in Texas, and these are brownouts, and mm-hmm. we've heard about blackouts or like in California, rolling blackouts. Mm-hmm where there's no announcement, but because of energy needs, they literally turn off the lights, Mm -hmm. which includes traffic lights and everything. And a brownout is similar because that's when the electricity demand is really high that they Mm -hmm. actually lower the output a little bit. And you see it mainly in incandescent lights. Right. They kind of dim. So that was something else going on with Texas also, right? Right. Now let's go across the pond. You found great information about Germany that yeah. I had no idea when it came to yep. uh, renewable energy right. sources. Right. When we were uh, we did a segment on a geothermal uh, heat pump a while back, and I talked about a subdivision in Germany, uh, and it's basically turned into a small city at this point. But Germany, uh, they have it figured out on a scale that that we just haven't. And of course, there's a lot fewer people to get on board with this. But um, Germany is up to, uh, they're over 50% in terms of their energy resources being renewable. So Mm -hmm. they've far surpassed anybody else in the world. And, um, you know, that sounds great. I mean, it's uh, it's one of those things where we could dive into the details, but I recommend people just get online and and look it up because it's a lot to read about. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're shooting to be up uh, upwards of 65% in the next 10 years. They're in this funky transition because they haven't eliminated uh, coal plants. They haven't eliminated uh, nuclear energy altogether. All so they actually have this huge surplus of energy uh, where other people are uh, buying from them. Mm-hmm. Um, that all sounds great, like I said, but I think that the kicker is that the cost of their electricity has went up by 50%. So if we were using those folks as a uh, as a guide to, to see how this is going to eventually work, uh, try doubling everybody's utility bill in the next 10 years over here and see how that goes for you. They literally have so much energy, yep. they have to sell it, but yep. it costs twice it costs as much. It costs a lot more to make. and that brings me, more. Right. That brings me to my next point. Um, their neighbor, France, is the world's largest exporter of energy because of how low their cost is to generate that energy. Uh, France right now is operating at 70% nuclear energy. Mm-hmm. And while a lot of people are frowning on nuclear energy, they generate less than one-tenth of the carbon emissions that Germany does, and they generate it at half the cost. So there's your 50% back right there. However, when you read into it, it France is also committed to be from that 70% figure down to 50% by 2035. A lot of things that are going to bring this to whether or not this is this is reality are going to show themselves in the next 10 or 15 years. So some of this stuff may uh, may 
uh, go away. I just think that we're missing the mark with our goal. Nuclear has uh, no emissions and it's cheap to produce in a situation like they had in Texas. If right. they had a nuclear backup, you know, that could have remedied the situation of 4 million people in the freezing cold without power for days. Yeah. And one of the things they missed was de-icing equipment and insulation. Mm-hmm. Basic things you would think about, but I guess Texas is like, what do we need insulation right. for? We're Texas. But right. that was one of the other contributing factors to this big power outage Absolutely. is that tr- nothing would work and everything got too cold. I think all in all, if these renewable energy resources are going to succeed and everybody's going to get on board and uh, this is realistic, it's going to take a couple of things. I think that uh, a backup power supply along the way is going to be super important. Mm-hmm. So uh, another thing is less regulation. You know, Speaking of Texas, uh, the guy who's in charge of uh, the electric vehicle being realistic in, in, your, in your neighbor's garage uh, you know, he basically just got ran out of California because of That's so right. much uh, regulation. And um, talking about Elon Musk, Elon Musk, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he just moved his whole operation to Texas uh, just because it was uh, more conducive to, to business there. Why would you continue to do business if, if there's no uh, incentive there? I think people are losing sight of what's important. If I had to word it in a way, I'd say it's it's not regulation; it's innovation. So. If there's a California contractor show out there, I'd love to talk to the guy. I bring it on, pal. We'll, we'll have a build-off any day, and uh, I think I can do it better and cheaper. And you know, one thing about moving to renewable energies, a thing that was in the news recently, was the cancellation of the Keystone Pipeline. Right. And the position of that is, well, there's so much future with renewable resources that we can cancel this and all the jobs will move over there. If you make something that is innovative, you don't have to regulate right. it. The people will automatically move yes. to that type of service. So I think the government clearly forcing the hand. Right. Yeah. And like you mentioned earlier when we were talking about this, what about all those jobs that are lost right now? That's yeah. right. Thousands of jobs. There was no immediacy to do it and there was no benefit to right. cut the pipeline immediately. Right. This stuff is not going to run on schedule. It's just forcing the issue. But that's, you know, we could go on a whole different direction of the conversation. But back to the point, sometimes your utility company, for whatever reason, can't get you the energy you need, the power you need Mm -hmm. for your home. So you have to do what? Get a generator. Generate your own some way. (laughs) And unless you got kids on a treadmill or really a a hamster on roids, you're going to have to get a generator. And there's a huge variety of generators. So let's start off with there, what people need to think about. We did a whole show on generators. I guess it was about a year ago because you made a couple football references. And um, Mm -hmm. I I think that two things come into play with a generator uh, and whether you get a standalone generator that will power your whole house or if you Mm -hmm. have a portable generator, which is what I have. And um, we don't lose power very often. So I kind of justified that by saying that Uh, I have this generator that I can move around and use for other places like camping Mm -hmm. on the job site and um, rather than dive in and and spend $10,000, $15,000 on the standalone. But the two things to take into account are probably age and location. So if I were older, standalone all the way. I don't want any maintenance. I want the fuel source to be right there in my backyard in terms of natural gas or propane. Um, And location, you know, if you live close to the city uh, or you're in a subdivision, I think a portable would be better because, uh, of course, a portable doesn't cycle on and off and uh, irritate your neighbors. So, uh, you know, that that's one thing to take into account there. And it's much, much cheaper. The one that I have is about a $2,000 unit and it's an 8,000 watt. So um, to run a whole house, you would get up near the 22,000 watts. And that would be something that you would get with the standalone generators. Okay. Um, you know, there's different brands. I prefer Generac and uh, I, my portable is actually a Honda, but Generac is what you see on most standalone generators. Mm-hmm. They're a good company and uh, a lot more details in our 
previous show from a year ago on mm-hmm. on that. But um, the rule of thumb is to go online, find out which appliances you would need to run in the event of a power outage, mm-hmm. add all the wattage up, and it's important to look at starting wattage versus maintenance wattage as well. But add all those up and add 20%, and that will give you what size generator that you need. Each appliance pulls, a, of course, a different wattage. Some things that you don't think about as a water heater, it takes a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so half of my generator, I think a water heater is right around 4,500 uh, watts. Whoa. So if I were going to give a tip to somebody who had a portable generator, it would be to call an electrician this year and go ahead and get on his schedule for one of these. Um, it's a 30-amp inlet box is the proper term for it. Uh, but what they do is they put a plug on the outside of your house. Mm-hmm. The old school way used to be pull your dryer out of the hole and back feed into your dryer outlet. And that would, of course, give you enough power for your lights and everything. But definitely don't endorse that. Don't recommend that. Um, it's about $1,000 to have one of these um, 30 amp inlet boxes added to the outside. But what that does is an electrician, uh, a licensed electrician will come in, install that, and he will actually put something on your panel called an interlock system. Mm-hmm. The interlock system, what it does is... Uh, you have to flip your breaker off to backfeed into the panel from the generator. Okay, makes sense. And it has a, a little brass ring that basically drops over. When you flip the breaker off to the power supply outside, it won't allow power to backfeed from the generator back into the lines. The danger there could be, you know, um, power lines work both ways. So mm-hmm. if you're not feeding into your house and you don't have the appropriate breaker in your panel box, uh, you could feed back into the lines. And so you, you've got, a say, a lineman working a mile down the road from your house, mm-hmm. and he's working on a line that's not supposed to be a live wire. Well, you're making that wire. If you don't do this the proper way, you're going to heat that wire up, and you could potentially electrocute the lineman. Now, the lineman, they all know that homeowners don't know what they know, so right. they take the proper precautions. But there's always that four- or five-second window before they get grounded themselves where you know they could potentially get electrocuted. So let's just stress that again. You made it at the beginning of this. Don't do this yourself. You need to call an electrician to have this installed. Right. It's, it's well worth it, not only for the protection of, say, alignment, but just for the protection of your house That's exactly or something right. like that. And mm-hmm. uh, you could run drop cords from the generator to certain things if you wanted, like refrigerators, freezers, and that kind of thing. Blender. <laughs> um, but it's a, lot, it's a lot better to do it this way. And uh, you also, if you have a drop cord going... You know, they say that don't open and close your doors, don't open and close the refrigerator or freezer mm-hmm. during this time. And, yeah. you'll, of course, last a lot longer. But um, that if you do an electrical or a drop cord, that's got to go through a door or a window somewhere. So you're automatically allowing that a source for cold air to get into your house. One thing that we did and we have, so we have three refrigerators in our house and a standalone freezer. So what I would do is, of course, we had uh, our gas logs on for our heat source. I had a little Eden Pure heater and uh, that thing works great. We just put it in the room that we slept. Mm-hmm. And uh, that worked great for the nighttime. But uh, the way that you take a shower, the way that you basically have all your appliances is uh, the give and take approach. So basically, I would go down to our panel box and I would turn off all the refrigerators, okay. turn off the freezer, and I would turn on the hot water heater only. Okay. And uh, basically, I would heat my water up for, say, an hour or so. I'd go turn the hot water breaker off okay. and turn my well pump. We're on a well, not city water. So okay. we would turn my well pump on. And it would give enough pressure through the house to pump the hot water up so we could take showers. Okay. And then you go back and reset everything uh, the way that it was. Because, of course, maintaining uh, your frozen foods and refrigerator, that's a, a, a big key. But um, I would recommend if you're going to get a portable, at least go uh, 6500 to 8000 That normally, for you know family of five, mm-hmm. uh, that, that normally does what you need it to do. But I also recommend having a, another heat source besides the Eden Pure heater like the gas logs with a, a blower. Most people think of a generator that you just pick a few things and mm-hmm. you leave them on 24-7 mm-hmm. until your power comes on. 
but you're seesawing back and forth to mm-hmm. maximize this. I'm assuming <laughs> you have this system set up, at least in your mind, on how to alternate back and forth. Right. right. Now, there's uh, multiple places on the internet where they have generator calculations. Mm-hmm. Uh, some are a little more user friendly than others, but um, some you basically plug your, uh, you just plug in the appliances that you want to run. It'll give you a tally. And like I said, I would do that before I even thought about purchasing the generator because that'll give you uh, your max wattage. And like I said, add 20% to that. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of places online. Uh, Generac, Honda, uh, Northern Tool has a good one. And there are just several places online that I recommend going to do. If you have power now, now's the time to plan. Yes. And um, while we're on the subject, I, I want to say plan on getting gas cans because that's what disappears off the shelves when we go through a power outage event like this. And I'd say about 10 gallons of gas a day is is what mine would take. So uh, we had about uh, 10 five-gallon jugs filled up, and we only went through about four of those mm-hmm. in the two days that we were out of power. Well, I tell you what, if you don't, if you're like me, I rarely have power go out. We have a lot of underground mm-hmm. lines in our neighborhood, so we're not affected the same way. Mm-hmm. I don't have a generator. If I got one, I would probably get a small portable one just to run a couple of things because mm-hmm. the times we have lost power, it's literally been, thank God, a couple hours. Mm-hmm. We've been very blessed with that. But if you're in an area that loses power consistently or when it does go down, it can take a while because you're, you know, living out in the sticks or right. you're, you know, a prepper like Donnie is. <laughs> um, button push to start it? Uh, no. Or do you I, have to pull the cord? Yeah, I have the cord. You got the cord version. Yep. So they have versions that have a little battery so you can just hit a button and you're, you're right. up and running. But again, we can't stress enough, if you're going to hook this up, let an electrician do it because yeah. there's a whole bunch of bad things that can happen. Absolutely. But it can be very nice when you just have a system on standby and you lose power, especially if you have uh, a medical condition or something where you need to have something Absolutely. on all the time. It can't yep. go off. All right. You ready for some questions? Hit me. Because we've gotten a lot because Dr. Peden, when we had him on a couple weeks in a row talking about <laughs> COVID, it was hard to get a lot of questions yeah. in. And so we've kind of got a backlog here. So we're going to start this by saying, go to the website, thecarolinacontractor.com. And there's a little button that says, ask the contractor. And that goes to Donnie. Doesn't care what the question is for the most part. It can be about your house, but we have a (laughs) whole uh, list of questions from the past that we've answered that have been, uh, we learned how much, how many calories you burn running up and down the steps one time because of a question. All right. So let's start off with the first question. What is your take, Donnie, on tankless water heaters. I give it a full endorsement. And this is one of the only things that I have really flipped on. Um, I, I didn't like the tankless water heaters uh, 10 years ago, but mm-hmm. they have become increasingly efficient. They don't they don't use as much uh, gas as they did. So uh, basically the reason I did not like these is because I was an all-electric guy and this would require you to have a gas tank out back. Mm-hmm. I've given in a little bit. Like I said, I'm, I'm not anti-fossil fuel, but um, I, I lived in an old house when we were starting a family and it was very poorly insulated and it was a propane, it had propane as the heat source. So getting a $600 propane bill every month when you're uh, mm-hmm. trying to feed three kids was was not good. It just turned me against gas. But nowadays, uh, basically, if you have a hundred uh, gallon tank, which is not very big, doesn't mm-hmm. take up a lot of space, you could probably get by with a tankless water heater on two fill-ups a year. So that's okay. I mean, a couple nice. of fill-ups a year on a small tank, I really give it a strong endorsement in terms of having a big family and never running out of hot water. The popular way to say this is hot water on demand. And right. just to comment on that, people think that hot water on demand means you open the faucet and you have hot water instantly. It's not that. It just means that it heats the water up as needed. So if you have three people taking showers at the same time, uh, you'll never run out of hot water. But like I said, you still have to account for what they call a cold water sandwich. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still got to get from the water heater to the fixture, but I definitely like these. I think that... Um, 
in terms of being a money saver, uh, not so much, but in terms of comfort um, and never worrying about running out of hot water, uh, I'm all in. Well, I will say this. The, the We're high atop the seventh floor of a smoke tree tower. Mm-hmm. Use the restrooms, hit the hot water, mm-hmm. like two seconds max. Really? I don't know how they do it. Yeah. And you think we're 70 plus feet up in yeah. the air. How they, they do it? They probably have a circulation pump, so they probably keep it on demand somewhere close to that fixture. So, no, we'll have to do sometime. Yeah. Have the um, head of maintenance come in and talk on oh, the yeah. show because I'm sure he could tell us uh, stories and give us information. I'll I'll see if I can make that happen. But in the meantime, we got a second question here sent to thecarolinacontractor.com. We want to change insurance companies this year. Our roof is 20 years old. Given the likelihood that we will eventually be hit with a wind or hailstorm, who would you recommend? Well, I don't want to get in trouble with some of my insurance agents who uh, listen to the show, but I'm just going to be honest and, and shoot this uh, person straight. We've already discussed this over the phone, um, but uh, I recommend smaller companies. For instance, all my policies all of my policies are through a small agency. The small agencies uh, represent usually 20 to 30 different insurance companies, right. and they can find the insurance company that fits you the best. Whereas, you know, the big, the giant State Farm Nationwide, Allstate, they basically have uh, they have their rates set and they have their program that is nationwide and. Uh, it's just not as much wiggle room there. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they tend to be competitively priced because they're aware that these smaller agencies, you know, have much less overhead, and so they kind of have to meet that uh, that price requirement. But I, I would say that the one thing that uh, differentiates the two the most is that the smaller agencies use independent insurance adjusters. Mm-hmm. So you know, insurance you're basically just buying air until something happens, right? And uh, if they pay out or not is the big thing. So I think that um, uh, using these independent adjusters, which is what I did back in my 20s, uh, the reason that's important is because independent adjusters operate on a different fee schedule. So the more they pay you, the more they get paid. They have more incentive to do right by the insured or the homeowner. Um, A lot of times the uh, staff adjusters is what you call uh, the adjusters that work for the bigger companies. They're just on salary. Mm -hmm. So whether they pay out or not, they don't make any more or any less. Um, I think that um, another thing to make sure is that, that you're insured for the proper amount. There's something that they run called an ITV report when you have an insurance claim. And that basically says that you're insured up to 80% of the house value. So mm. million dollar house, you got to carry $800,000 worth of insurance. What that disqualifies you for if you do not is you go from replacement cost coverage to actual cash value. So anytime something is damaged, they depreciate it. Right. And so when that depreciation is taken out and uh, basically they hold that depreciation until you actually complete the repair yes. and they pay you that depreciation on the back end, which is the basically the definition of replacement cost right. coverage. Um, if you don't carry enough coverage and they run an ITV report, then they just keep that depreciation. And, you know, on a big claim, you're talking could be up to $100,000. All right, we got time for uh, one more question, man. Yeah. Uh, if you have one, hit the website, thecarolinacontractor.com, and click on Ask the Contractor. Dear Donnie, <laughs> it's amazing how personal these letters have gotten. Our attic is extremely hot in the winter. We were considering using the Energy Star shingles or potentially lighter colored metal. What is your take on this? Um, not worth it. And I know one of our sponsors, um, GAF, they have a cool series shingle that's out there and, mm-hmm. um, in the right circumstance. Uh, and, and if you have enough money, then go for it. But that shingle costs about triple what the other shingles do. The labor's the same, but the shingles, uh, the material cost is about triple. Uh, when you reference the tax deduction show that we did a month or so ago, mm-hmm. Uh, basically, the du- deduction is very minimal. I think it's around five hundred dollars that you get back. But right. when you're spending, you know, in terms of thousands more to get that cool series, um, you know, and it does reduce the temperature attic. It does do what it's supposed to do. 
but um, you can spend a fraction of that on radiant barrier and insulation and accomplish the same thing. Oh. Uh, it's important with radiant barrier that you have the appropriate ventilation. So you need to look up uh, under your soffits and make sure that they're vented and you need to have a ridge vent installed on your roof. But um, that radiant barrier will will do far better in terms of keeping the temperature of the attic down than what those cool series shingles will do. And so if you have the same problem and you're going, oh, I don't know how to put any of that stuff in, well, lucky for you, <laughs> Donnie knows some people. You can contact SureTopRoofing.com. That's a website. Schedule an appointment. And they come out and look at your roof if you have any issues. Or with the past storms and stuff, yep. we've talked about in past episodes what to look for after an ice storm or as we get uh, spring mm-hmm. and summer hail storms and things like that. Or if your roof is just old and you know you need to get it replaced or looked at, again, contact Donnie and SureTop Roofing. Again, the website address is SureTopRoofing.com. And if you want to ask a question to Donnie about your roof or some other part of your house, be sure to go to thecarolinacontractor.com. Again, you can get downloads to past episodes, information on today's show and past shows, links, and then you've got the Facebook page, yep. which you're updating. And you also put up a picture you were showing me earlier uh, today. <laughs> it's like the biggest thing you've ever put up. Oh, my gosh. I, you Explain know, it real quick. Right, right. It's a, it's basically, um, this is really cheesy, but um, if you're pet has a problem going to using the bathroom in the snow right they basically just put a four by four sheet of plywood out there and when their dog goes out they lift the plywood up and they have some nice green grass to do their business and um i put that up there just kind of like a tip for the uh, ice and I, I think it got more likes and shares than anything we've ever put up there so maybe i'm just overshooting these things i'm thinking too hard about this you know what? we'll change this the logo from a hammer and a saw to a puppies or something <laughs> and, and make it look nice maybe throw a kitten in there and then right. it'll take off like yeah. that thanks for listening to the carolina contractor show presented by sure top roofing learn more and submit your questions at the Everything under your roof is important, so make sure your roof is up to the job. For over 20 years, SureTop Roofing has been covering triangle homes and businesses. SureTop Roofing is certified with all of the major shingle manufacturers, providing a 50-year non-prorated warranty. SureTop Roofing has estimators, project managers, and design consultants on staff, guaranteeing superior service. Visit SureTopRoofing.com. SureTop Roofing has you covered.